Hello, and welcome to a special edition of the Top of the D podcast. I'm Ross Bone, also known as the Top of the D, and with the Olympic qualifying playoffs getting underway this past weekend, I decided to leave the domestic games to one side and be focusing on the road to Tokyo. So here's what's coming up. Next stop, Tokyo for Australia, China and Spain after they held their nerves in the women's Olympic qualifiers. There's pain in Spain for France as their dreams are crushed by the Red Sticks. The Netherlands are on their way to Tokyo, but Irish hearts were broken by a video nasty. I'll take a look ahead at Great Britain's matches with Malaysia for the men's qualifiers and Chile's for the women's. There's all this and plenty more coming up, so without further ado, let's get cracking. But of course, before we get into all that, it's time for this week's Who Am I quiz. Uh, If you haven't listened before, it's nice and easy. I give you three clues over the course of the show. You have to guess who the mystery hockey player is. Here's the first clue. I was born on the 28th of October 1984 in Hamburg, Germany. And I have spent all but one season of my club career playing for my home club, UHC. That clue again. I was born on the 28th of October 1984 in Hamburg, Germany, and have spent all but one season of my club career playing for my home club, UHC. Any ideas? Might be an easy one for some, might be difficult for others. Anyway, if you haven't got that, don't worry, there's another clue coming up very shortly. So, here we go then. The 10 days that will make or break the Olympic dreams of hockey's top athletes has begun. The FIH's Olympic qualifying playoffs came roaring into action with some fantastic hockey, some interesting scorelines, and at least one huge talking point. I've seen some people on social media questioning the system for qualifying, saying there's too much riding on two games in such a short space of time. I've seen some people say there should be full-on tournaments involving more than the two teams in each game. I can see that point of view. And before the games got underway, I assumed that with such high stakes, we'd see cagey games where the higher-ranked side eventually prevailed. Uh, Given the evidence of the first weekend of matches, I was definitely wrong about the cagey side of things. So what I'll do is I'll give you a quick rundown of what's happened in the matches so far, and then pick up a couple of points that I want to address in a little more detail. So first up, a look at the women's Olympic qualifiers. Australia have booked their ticket to Tokyo after seeing off Russia in their two-game playoff in Perth. Uh, Game one... The Hockey Roos scored twice in the first two minutes, a dream start thanks to goals from Emily Chalker and Amy Lawton. And although Russia pulled one back in the first quarter and then levelled through Alina Kalimova, 
Grace Stewart's goal and another from Chalker put the Aussies in control going into Game 2. Game 2 is a bit more routine. Um, The Australians uh, scored a double through Mariah Williams um, and then another one each for Chalker and Stewart and a goal for Sophie Taylor secured Australia's slot in the Tokyo Games. Elsewhere, Adrian Locke's Spain project continues rolling on as they saw off Korea to ensure they qualify for the Olympics once again. They did fall behind to a penalty corner from Hee Sun Yang in Game 1, but a lovely poacher's effort from Belen Iglesias, a well-taken penalty corner from Lola Riera, gave them a slender advantage going into Game 2. In Game 2, Begonia Garcia settled any Spanish nerves there may have been with the opening goal after the goalkeeper and defender got in a terrible mess on the goal line. And then Riera slotted in a penalty stroke and it was all over for Korea and off to Tokyo for Spain. The final tie to take place in the women's qualifiers this weekend was China versus Belgium. It was looking good for Belgium after Game 1 where an early goal from Jill Boone and a Late goal from Stephanie van den Boer gave them a 2-0 lead going into Game 2. Everything seemed to be fine for Belgium in Game 2. The lead was intact until four minutes from time when Bing Feng Gu slotted home from the penalty spot to give China a glimmer of hope. And then incredibly, Mayu Liang's cross was diverted into her own net by Alex Gurnier to, make, uh, to take the match into a shootout. Uh, it was one all after five each, which took it into sudden death. Um, and then Jai Kui Lee scored, meaning Alex Gurney, uh, her of the own goal in uh, normal time, she had to score to keep Belgium in it. Her effort went wide, and China took the win and a place in the Olympics. And uh, the advertising hoarding behind the goal took a bit of a battering from uh, the Belgium striker's stick. Um, massive for China, but absolute heartbreak for Belgium, but very exciting for us watching at home. So the qualifiers for the women's Olympic competition uh, so far are as follows. Japan, Argentina, Australia, China, Netherlands, New Zealand, South Africa and Spain. There are still four places up for grabs and we'll find out who takes those this coming weekend. So it's now time for the second clue in today's Who Am I quiz. So here we go. Second clue is, in a glittering career, I have won two Olympic gold medals, an Olympic bronze medal, and a World Cup. I've also won the Euro Hockey League three times. That clue again. In a glittering career, I've won two Olympic gold medals, an Olympic bronze medal, and a World Cup. I've also won the Euro Hockey League three times too. Any idea who that is? Don't worry if you don't know, there is another clue coming up before the end of the show. Right then, here we go. Time to have a look at the three ties that took place over the weekend in the men's Olympic qualifiers. I'll rattle through the first two and uh, save the one that everyone is talking about until last. 
So Spain joined their women's side in booking a place at Tokyo after they saw off a very strong challenge from European rivals France. The first match of this type was an absolute belter. Uh, France raced into a 3-0 lead thanks to goals from Victor Charlet, uh, Gaspar Baumgarten and Almarie Bellinger. And after 29 minutes, they were 3-0 up. Must have been absolutely overjoyed with that start. And even though Spain pulled one back uh, from a Xavi Leonard penalty stroke, France were in an extremely strong position. In the 41st and 50th minutes, though, as has so often been the case for Spain over the years, Pau Camada stepped up, slotted in two penalty corners and made it 3-3 going into the deciding game. In game two, Baumgarten gave France the lead with an absolutely brilliant goal. He drove the baseline and lifted it over the goalkeeper from close range. Um, Miguel Delas and Alvaro Iglesias put Spain ahead, but Francois Goyer levelled it up at 5-5 overall in the 39th minute. But parity lasted just one minute as Xavi Leonard once again put Spain back in front. France threw everything at them, but in the end, it was the Red Sticks who held on, and it's them who will be going to Tokyo. It was a fantastic two games, and, and even though Spain took the place, and, and even though it will be very little consolation to France, they showed once again that they're getting closer and closer to Europe's top sides all the time. You'll remember, no doubt, that they reached the quarterfinals of the World Cup, something that I predicted on uh, Galvanised Hockey's prediction show, of course. Um, and if they can keep building on those sorts of performances like this, they'll be competing on an even footing with the best sides around very soon. Netherlands versus Pakistan was a very entertaining tie. First match finished 4-4, um, with Pakistan executing their penalty corners brilliantly to spring what can only be described as a surprise result. At the end of the, day, uh, end of the game, the Dutch probably looked at Mink van der Veerden's last-minute goal that made it 4-4 and thought they'd probably got away with one a bit there. The second game, the Dutch class shone through. Van der Veerden scored two more, and there were further goals from Bjorn Kellerman, Mirko Preuser, Terence Peters and Yip Janssen. They all netted to give the Dutch a 6-1 win. If you haven't seen the highlights, I'd strongly urge you to watch them on the FAH Facebook page. The atmosphere inside the stadium is superb. The penalty corner clinic Pakistan conducted in the first game is well worth a look. And uh, Bjorn Kellerman's goal in the second game is a thing of beauty, like really well worth a watch. <sighs> now then, deep breath, Canada versus Ireland. Um, before I go into this, I should make clear, I hate it when people criticise umpires. I hate it when people blame the outcome of the game on the officials. I have the utmost respect for umpires and officials. I understand it is a very difficult job, and without them, there won't be a game. I accept all that, and ordinarily, I'd steer well clear of any topic that calls out officials, because I think it sends the wrong message, and I don't think it's the right road to go down. But the second match of this two-match playoff um, ended up being decided by an umpiring decision, a video umpiring decision, and I'm afraid that can't be ignored. That is the major talking point of the of the contest. So here we go. For context, Ireland won the first match 5-3. They were 2-1 down in the second match. And that meant overall they were 6-5 up and heading to the Olympics. 
seconds left on the clock. Lee Cole attempted to tackle Canada's James Wallace in the circle. Wallace went down. The on-field umpire signalled a 16 and blew the full-time whistle. Canada asked for a video referral. The video umpire decided the decision was a penalty stroke. Scott Tupper scored to make it 6-6 and Canada went on to win the shootout and qualify for the Olympics instead of Ireland. Firstly, I've seen some comments on Twitter saying the final whistle had gone, so Canada should not have been allowed to refer. That's not correct. The incident happened whilst the game was still going on. They immediately asked for the referral. So as far as the rules go, they were quite within their rights to do so. So that's that dealt with. No issue on that. I've seen some dissenting voices, some posts on social media uh, claiming corruption, um, accusations of bias, questioning the integrity of the FIH, the officials, etc. I I don't agree with that at all. I think think that's proper tinfoil hat territory. Um, It's not a conspiracy or anything like that. But what I'd say is the if I just go to describe the incident itself and the fallout and uh, sort of where I am on that, and then you can, I guess, make up your own minds from there. Um, obviously, I appreciate a podcast is not a, a visual medium, so I'd urge you to visit the BBC Sport website and watch the incident for yourself. But essentially, the attacker drives towards the baseline in a crowded circle. The defender tries to reach to make a tackle. The attacker appears to step on the defender's stick, causing him to fall. As I said earlier, the on-field umpire signals a 16 and blows for full time, and Ireland think they've done it. The rules on a penalty stroke state that a penalty stroke is awarded for an offence by a defender in the circle which prevents the probable scoring of a goal or for an intentional offence in the circle by a defender against an opponent who has possession of the ball or an opportunity to play the ball. Now, as I see it, for point A, I think from the angle the attacker's going, the speed he's going, the area of the circle he's in, the number of defenders and goalkeeper around, deeming that to be a probable goal-scoring opportunity is a bit of a stretch. Uh, Obviously, it's my opinion. It's open to debate and criticism, and there are people far better qualified than me to, to sort of make judgments on that. But my feeling is it would take something extremely special to score from there, and I don't deem that to be a probable goal-scoring opportunity. Point B an intentional offence in the circle by a defender against an opponent who has possession of the ball or an opportunity to play the ball. To me, that's an attempted flat stick tackle. The defender only has eyes for the ball. He's intent on making a tackle to win the ball cleanly. And the contact with the attacker's foot is as much down to the attacker's movement as it is to the defender's movement. I'd say... A penalty corner would maybe be a fair decision, but to deem that to be an intentional foul is, again, my opinion, a massive reach for me, and I don't believe that that's the correct outcome. Um, If you don't believe me, just find out what uh, Ireland captain Jonathan Bell thinks of it. Here's his post-match interview. I think it was a terrible, terrible decision in the last moments of the game. Um, 
fair play to Canada. They came out and went strong at us today. It's a pretty even game. We had chances, they had chances. Um, and we did have a couple of chances to take the game away from them. Uh, but as I say, a decision like that at this level is, is just not acceptable. Thank you. So uh, no pull, no punches pulled there. Uh, one of the shortest and most matter-of-fact post-match interviews you're ever likely to hear. To be honest, given how he was probably feeling, uh, he's been quite restrained there, in my opinion. Um, as I say, I've seen a lot of content, uh, comments across social media and, and a lot are rooted in emotion and anger. A lot of people, um, you know jumping to conclusions, throwing wild accusations around. I've tried to kind of cut through all the noise and pull out a couple of salient points for discussion in an attempt to to work out what's happened and, and try and get some sort of understanding. The first thing that I did find of interest is that there were some question marks over the technology and the video angles um, available to the video umpire. Uh, Stephen Findlater of Hook Hockey, uh, he tweeted during the early stages of the first game, TV production having a whole world of issues with showing the replays, but Video Empire has no advice possible, so PC stands. A big worry about the quality of the video angles on offer. That was at nil-nil in the early stages of the first match of the two-match series, so long before the key decision in team in, in game two. I've not seen anything from the FIH about the video umpire facilities or the angles available. The feed I watched was not the best. It was pretty difficult to follow. The angles shown on the replay whilst the umpire was making the decision weren't that great either. Maybe the video umpire had access to angles and footage that we watching at home didn't. I don't know. Um, What I do know is that that tweet from Stephen suggests that there were concerns early on about the sort of uh, the angles available to them and what I would also say is if the video umpire was using the same video I could see it's hard to see how they could have been expected to make clear and fair decisions based on the footage available so as we know there appeared to be some concerns and a few issues with the video in the first game and I know a number of journalists have put in requests to the FIH for clarification of what angles were available. But you do kind of worry about that. It's part of a wider point with hockey that the quality of the video referral facilities seems to differ wildly from venue to venue and tournament to tournament. So it's not doing the game any favours when the impression is that some matches and some venues the video umpires cannot do their jobs to the standards we expect of them because they don't have the correct the correct equipment or facilities to do so for a game of this importance i find it very difficult to comprehend that a situation could arise where a video umpire is not able to see every angle to make the correct decision um that being said obviously that is just me speculating because i don't know and i know um checking just before recording none of the journalists have heard back about what video angles were available um of course there is the possibility that the video umpire did have access to angles that we at home did not see but if that's the case why don't the fih come out and say this it might not 
quieting down the uh, baying mob with their pitchforks and their flaming torches, but I don't know. I think it might it might help clarify things a little bit. Um, I have seen a number of people say the FIH should come out and explain the decision and how it has arrived at, and I know BBC Sport contacted them for a statement but were told umpires' decisions are final, and as a general principle, FIH does not comment publicly on individual umpiring decisions. So obviously we've seen in the Rugby World Cup, uh, the World Rugby Governing Body came out and uh, apologised for some decisions made, I believe in the Ireland v Japan match. Um, So I don't see why the FIH can't do the same. Now, I appreciate there'll be people screaming at their device now who disagree with this, saying that's a dangerous precedent to set. You don't want to get into a situation where every time someone disagrees with an umpiring decision, they expect an official explanation. And that is a slippery slope that we, we don't want to get down a stage where we're doing that for every single game. But what I would say is this is an exceptional circumstance. It's not just another decision in just another game. Ireland's and Canada's place at the Olympic Games, the pinnacle of the sport, depended on the outcome of this decision. Not just that, but funding, sponsorship, livelihoods, careers. By any metric, this was a huge decision with a lot riding on it. If the FIH are saying the video umpire made the correct call, which personally I don't believe he did, why don't they come out and explain that? Why don't they come out and back that? Don't Ireland deserve that? Don't Canada deserve to have the sheen restored to their achievement of reaching the Olympics? Um, As I say, I just think there's a lot of unanswered questions out there. There's a lot of angry people out there. It isn't a usual situation. It is an, an exceptional circumstance. And I think it would be very worthwhile for the FIH to try and clear this up. I'm not sure if any of this section makes sense, to be honest. Um, My thinking's a bit jumbled around the whole thing. I feel desperately sorry for Canada because I feel like their joy and their achievement of reaching the Olympics has been tainted by this controversy. And I feel even more sorry for Ireland because losing in that fashion is, is, is horrendous, to put it mildly. Um, perhaps a last word on the matter, just for some food for thought. Here's a tweet from Davy Hart, one of the Ireland goalkeepers. Hockey careers ended, Olympic dreams shattered, and years and years of nothing but hard work and dedication from all players diminished. Honestly, still can't believe what happened. A decision that will carry pain for a lifetime. Heartbroken. There you go. Well, that was uh, that was quite heavy. Um, after all that, let's lighten the mood with the final clue in the Who Am I quiz. Here we go. Um, final, third and final clue. I made over 250 appearances for Germany and scored over 100 goals and was voted FIH World Player of the Year in 2012. That clue again. I made over 250 appearances for Germany, scored over 100 goals, and was voted FIH World Player of the Year in 2012. Any ideas? Fear not if you haven't got it, although I think that would have clinched it for many people, but the answer is coming up very shortly. (laughs) 
So we've looked at the Olympic qualifiers which have happened, and now there's a small matter of the ones coming up. This coming weekend at the Lee Valley Hockey and Tennis Centre in London, Great Britain will do battle with Chile in the women's competition and with Malaysia in the men's. An Olympic Games berth is on the line, so let's have a look at what we can expect. So the teams they face, first up, quick look at Chile. Chile will represent a new challenge for Mark Hagar's side. The two teams have never met in a major tournament. Chile are ranked 18th in the world, finished fourth at the recent Pan American Games, where they lost to Argentina in the semi-finals, and then lost the bronze medal match to the USA. Uh, they have a player called Manuela Uroth, who has played club hockey in Belgium for Royal Antwerp and more recently in the Netherlands for Oranje Road. She's probably their biggest goal threat. She scored 13 international goals in 2019, I think, including seven penalty corners. Um, so she will be uh, a big threat. She has a lot of experience at international level and of European hockey. From people I've spoken to um, who know a lot more about these things than me, I've been told Chile's style is... Um, a bit like a sort of Argentina light. So Las Diablas, they'll be physical, hardworking, have an aggressive press, plenty of individual flair, and uh, I'm sure we'll give uh, Great Britain a run for their money. What can we expect from the hosts? Perhaps uh, Captain Holly Pern-Webb can shed some light on the situation. I caught up with her last week, and here's how she sees it going. <laughs> Um, so, I mean, it's been a tough few months with the Pro League and the Euros not going maybe the way you would have mm-hmm. wanted, but how are you guys sort of feeling going into these Olympic qualifiers? Um, I think it's really important to look at the bigger picture in terms of sort of what's happened in the last year, in terms of obviously losing Al through injury and and, and obviously Nick through injury and, and having some players like Shona come back and so a lot of our senior players and then obviously changing coaching staff. So I think, yeah, it has been like a tough year so far but if you look at the bigger picture in terms of what's happened it's very much sort of a new um a very much new young squad new team and and obviously the new head coach in place so i think it's, it was just inevitable it was going to take a bit of time for us all to to gel so i don't think it's looking back in and and sort of panic stations i think it's that works even though it it didn't go to exactly how you wanted it. That stuff has still benefited us in the long run in terms of getting to know each other. So I think going into Olympic qualifiers, um, I think, yeah, we're, we're confident going into it. I don't think we can be overly confident. I don't think we can underestimate Chile. Um, I've certainly never played them. I think most people in our team haven't. And they're not going to be an easy team. It's not going to be a walkover. We know it's going to be tough, but, you know, we're here. We've got these six weeks preparing for it we've got these great test matches against India who are a very good side and I think the win today against India will again give us a lot of confidence um, sort of we've had periods in that game where we sort of had to dig really deep and, and defend and, and we sort of rode through that wave which I think is a massive learning mm. on what we had in the pro league because in the pro league we actually played some good hockey in patches we just defensively were just sort of letting in goals mm. um, so I think now we, we, if we can sort of settle our defence a bit more and keep that really strong um, and still have the attacking hockey that we sort of begin to sort of generate at, um, through Pro League, then I think we're going to have a really good balance and, yeah, it gives us really good confidence. So it's, it's fair to say that you kind of 
although it's been tough you, you have kind of progressed and, and you've come on yeah that time. I think it's just about building and learning and learning from those experiences and that's the best way especially for our youngsters and less inexperienced players I think that's the best way for them to learn and so that's a, a sort of a really big benefit of us having the pro leagues mm. we had so many really highly competitive games um, that hope was hopefully set us in a really good stead for these two matches against Chile I mean there are some players in the squad that experience like the 2014 World Cup yeah um, which obviously yeah. wasn't great no. and um, but then you know a year later European champions year after that Olympic champions yeah. I mean do those experiences kind of help you to sort of kind of say to the younger players that good times can be around the corner yeah, if that makes sense definitely I think it's important to say it doesn't matter where we are now if we all believe we can achieve something in a year's time we definitely can achieve it if we all stick to processes because there's a, some of us in this room that have witnessed that and been through that and it has been done um even though people on the outside might write you off like they did before rio as long as we as a group believe it um, and are working towards that then anything can can happen so i definitely think that gives you some confidence in the back of your head um and it's important to give that message to youngsters however it's also important to to say to them that it just doesn't just happen mm. so there has got to be changes over that period and you we do have to look at what we need to improve and we have to work really hard in training and training has to replicate our games so it doesn't just happen we have to work really hard and, and through that process it will be tough but if we all do that together then we can achieve what we want to achieve at the end of it and you've not played against Chile yourself but what do you know what to be expecting from them when you play them I think watching obviously we've, we've watched some of them and, and they look very in terms of how the Argentinians sort of style of play um, so and, and, and seeing some of their results from their, some of the world league um, they won't be tough they beat Japan I think 3-1 and had had a really good game there so I don't think we can underestimate them I think they've got some skillful and quick players and we've got to be careful of them on the break um, and they will be tough to break down and I think we've got to expect that it won't be a game where we're sort of it's a walk in the park and, and it's a comfortable scoreline we will have to work through all of it for the whole 60 minutes and, and the next game as well um, I mean these these games are obviously absolutely massive you know arguably the biggest since the Rio final yeah. um, I mean how do you kind of cope with the, the pressure of that and how do you go into those games and make sure you perform at your best I think it's just exactly the same as how we approach the Olympics and the Rio final it's just a matter of you've got these processes in place and if we do the processes and follow them step by step and don't look too far ahead and you're just focusing on the here and now and what we have to do right in this moment then when we get to that point you will feel as prepared as you possibly can both individually and as a squad so that when we get to that moment there isn't the pressure because we know we're in a really really good place um, and that's what we did going to Rio and that's what we did in the final and and, and that's what we're trying to accomplish right now is, is the training we're doing and these test matches and the matches we've got coming up and all the preparation we do both in the meeting rooms and on the pitch that's just part of the processes that hopefully again enable us when we get to the 2nd and 3rd November is to win those games against Chile Is it confident you can get it done? Yes yeah. Excellent. That's what I wanted to hear. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> awesome. <laughs>
You definitely get the impression she's not taking anything for granted. She's not underestimating the opposition, but there is a tone of determination in her voice there. Um, and it feels like Holly Pernweb will be ready, as she always is, whenever she steps out onto the pitch. Um, one of the players who could be central to Great Britain's chances this coming weekend will be Giselle Ansley. She's come to the fore as their premier drag flicker, and I've spoken to her about the Chile games, um, about her role as the set-piece specialist, and a few more things besides that. So here's what she had to say. Um, so first off, um, it's a big couple of games coming up, so how's sort of the mood in the, in the group at the moment? Yeah, um, absolutely massive games coming up. Um, and I think the kind of the group just wants to kind of get there and play it and kind of get it done. Um, so we're looking forward to it. There's definitely um, a sense of anticipation, that's for sure. Um, but we're using kind of the weeks that we've got to, you know, train really hard and make sure that we'll, make sure that we're as prepared as possible, really. And um, you've been working with, with Mark Hagar for, for a little while now. You previously worked with Danny for what seemed like a really long time. <laughs> yeah. um, I mean, how, how are you finding kind of the differences and what sort of things have you picked up from Mark? Yeah, um, I think Mark definitely brings that um, real attacking um, style of play that he wants, that he wants us to implement. Um, and I think occasionally as a group, we've taken that a little bit too far in terms of we've kind of gone all gung-ho and left ourselves open to a bit of counter-attack. But, um, you know, he was re- Mark was really keen to build on the defensive um, processes and principles that we had under Danny. Um, he definitely admired them a lot. Um, and then he felt that he could bring in that attacking side of the game, which is, um, you know, what we were really kind of looking for. Um, so yeah, for us, it's it's remembering what we learned under Danny in terms of all of the, as I say, the defensive structure and stuff, and making sure that we we don't go away from that because I feel we definitely have for periods of the last um, couple of months. Um, but definitely now we're, uh, you know, we're starting to ensure that we keep that side of our game as well as try and develop that attacking attacking side of it and. Um, yeah, he obviously gets really excited, especially as being a big goal scorer himself in his time. So, um, yeah, the, the technical aspects of goal scoring as well um, have been brought into our training sessions a lot more, which is really, really good for us. Mm. I mean, the, the Pro League was obviously quite tough for you guys. Perhaps didn't didn't go as you'd have hoped. But, I mean, what sort of lessons have you taken out of that and what sort of things have you kind of... What positives can you draw from it? Yeah, um, definitely the, the Pro League, um, we had our fair share of mixed results, to be honest. Um, we had some good performances, but didn't get the results. We had some okay results, not good performances, that kind of thing. Um, and we also had a, a lot of people making debuts or first, you know, GB cap, that kind of stuff. Um, and it was all, you know, very much trying to piece the jigsaw back together I guess Mm. Um, and yeah we obviously with the change in personnel a lot in terms of also having Mark come in to to coach us um, I think we kind of took a a long time to to gel again Uh, and it it was it was hard definitely Um, and you know I think I've been incredibly fortunate in my career that I've been a part of some in- incredibly strong teams um, and I can't say that I'd ever been a part of a team 
that had been on a run of losses and stuff like that, which, I mean, it sounds ridiculous to say because I've been incredibly fortunate in 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 my career. Um, so, yeah, it was about us kind of picking ourselves up from that and accepting that you have to go through those periods in order to, to make the greatest gains again. So um, we learned a lot through that. Um, you know, that you can't just expect things to happen. You can't just expect results to come to you. You have to make it happen. You have to play an entire 60 minutes. Um, and, you know, it was also good for girls to get, you know, that hadn't really experienced that much international hockey to get a flavour of, hockey, you know, what it's like at that top level every single week. Um, and that was something that none of us had, had been, you know, making sure that you, you play one week, you've kind of got to debrief that, but you've also then got to prepare for another game the, the following week. Um, Travelling on the road, um, things like that, you know, it all was a huge learning curve for all of us and one that will definitely stand us in good stead moving forwards. Um, it's all about performing in those one-off games, so hopefully, you know, for us that's really good looking to the qualifier. Um, the game's chilly. Um, it will all be about, you know, winning that first game and then obviously uh, onto the second game straight after that so yeah um, there was a lot of learning for us and yeah. I think it was an incredible experience and uh, we've seen you sort of stepping up um, as kind of the main penalty corner flicker for the side does does that responsibility add some pressure to you or, or is that something that you relish um, yeah I definitely I'm not going to lie at times you do, I definitely do feel the pressure that um you know, as a now a senior player and um you know, worked worked hard on it and but penalty corner defences are getting better, goalkeepers are getting better. Um they're all trying to beat Maddie. <laughs> um so yeah, I definitely do feel responsibility but I also think that with that's what comes with the nature of you know, being a flicker or, or or whatever off the top of the off the top, and um, I I to be honest, I quite like it. I like responsibility. Um, there's something I've definitely thrived on, um, and yeah, come to come to game time, I want I want to be called to flick. Um, you know, that's that's what I want. So for me, yeah, I, I, yeah, if we win a corner, I'm I'm happy to step up there and and, and take that kind of on my shoulders. Must feel good when you um, you rip one into the top corner and the crowd goes yeah. nuts. That must make it all worthwhile. Yeah, absolutely. Um, definitely, when it when it comes off and and it you know hits hits the hits the back of the back of the net um, and you can celebrate. Uh, I think my celebrations kind of show how relieved I am that it's gone in. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, that definitely makes it all worthwhile. And um, with the chilly games coming up, you could argue there the biggest games you guys have played since maybe the Rio final so how do you sort of go into that and sort of you know try and prepare for such a big game yeah um by, by far they are the biggest games um because obviously we had the Europeans and and they were a chance to qualify as well but as soon as that chance is gone um this is your final chance essentially if we you know you win this you go into the Olympics you lose and you're not um, and if you think of it like that, then yeah, probably the most pressure game that we'll ever play in. Um, but equally, it's an incredible opportunity. Um, you know, we absolutely cannot underestimate Chile. Um, I myself have actually never played against them um, in senior or junior international hockey, in fact. Um, so, 
that is a new experience in itself. Um, and but we've obviously got a lot of video and stuff on them, so we'll be absolutely one hundred and ten percent prepared for that game. Um, and yeah, it's another chance to go out there and wear a GB shirt, um, and you know, fight for this team um, and and hockey in this country to have a, another shot at an Olympic Games. That's brilliant. Thank you. So plenty of insight into the mood in the Great Britain women's camp ahead of their crunch tie with uh, Chile this coming weekend. Um, Great Britain's men's team are also in action this coming weekend. They will face Malaysia in their Olympic qualifying playoff. Um, I'd like to give you some interviews from the Great Britain men's camp. However, at the time of recording... Great Britain Hockey's media team have not yet allowed me the chance to speak to anyone from the men's side of things. So at the moment, we'll have to make do with some quotes from Danny Carey from when the draw was made instead. Danny said, Malaysia are a good side with some great individuals and a number of threats, but having played them recently, it gives you that understanding of what that threat is. They have some good corner routines and some very fast players who are individually skillful. And they also have some very large aerial passes, play well on the counter-attack. And with a very experienced coach in Roland Altman's, will be very well prepared. We will respect them and prepare accordingly. Playing at Lee Valley Hockey and Tennis Centre and having a home crowd is something I personally enjoy. And I feel the athletes enjoy having the support behind us too. It's a great atmosphere there, and I think it'll be a cracking couple of days that myself and the athletes will really look forward to. Um, Not ideal having me read that out, but, you know, make the best of the situation we've got. Anyway, as Danny Kerry uh, touched upon in those quotes there, Roland Altmans is the coach of the Malaysian side. He is a coach par excellence. Uh, The wily Dutchman is adept at preparing his sides to be disciplined, stick to their plan, Um, but he's very good at marrying that discipline with um, Malaysia's sort of natural flair, and that's why there'll be a handful for Great Britain. Um, He did an outstanding job as a coach of India, um, where, as I say, he instilled that discipline alongside the natural flair and free-flowing ability of the side, made them a, a really tough prospect and um you know he's had a bit more time with malaysia i think the world cup came a bit too soon for them uh because he'd only been in the job a short time he's been there for a little while now so uh, you know his uh his ideas and his tactics will be taking root I have some absolutely wonderful players malaysia uh, fitzel sari faisal sari razi rahim uh tenku tajudin They all have an absolute abundance of international experience, loads of flair. Uh, Their corner routines are excellent and their attacking threat um, is, you know, very, very good. There will be no soft touch whatsoever. I also have one of my favourite goalkeepers, Kumar, not the biggest, and at 39, not the youngest. Uh, Very unorthodox, but fantastic to watch. Always a joy to see him play, and he always looks like he's really enjoying himself as well, so I always look forward to seeing him uh, turn out. 
That being said, I hope he doesn't play that well because I want Great Britain to qualify. Um, from a Great Britain standpoint, um, squad, it looks as though Wales's Jacob Draper will be in the squad for his third Great Britain cap after he impressed in the European Championships for his home nation. It won't be his debut for GB, but his third cap, I think, which is quite the occasion to be winning it. Such an important weekend. I'm really keen to see him rise to the occasion, and I'm sure he will. He's a very talented young player. Uh, Liam Sanford appears to be back in contention for the squad after a long injury layoff. Uh, his bravery and direct running in the Dan Fox role at penalty corner defence could prove to be extremely useful, especially given Malaysia's potential threat from set pieces. Other than that, Zach Wallace and, and Phil Roper's creative spark will be one of the keys to unlocking the visitors' defence. And with Sam Ward up top, you've always got a chance. Um, obviously taking nothing to gr- for granted, but Wardy knows where the goal is, has a very good goals-to-games ratio in uh, international hockey, and uh, you can usually bank on him to come up trumps for you, and I'm sure he'll be chomping at the bit to get out there. So, yeah, nothing taken for granted, but personally, um, I don't normally do predictions, but I'm predicting that Great Britain will get the job done, and I certainly hope that I am right on that front. Now it's time for the moment you've all been waiting for, the answer today's, to today's <laughs> Who Am I quiz. Um, a quick reminder of the clues. Uh, clue number one, I was born on the 28th of October 1984 in Hamburg, Germany, and I spent all bar one season of my club career playing for my home club, UHC. Clue two, in a glittering career, I've won two Olympic gold medals, an Olympic bronze, and a World Cup. I've also won the Euro Hockey League three times too. Clue number three, I made over 250 appearances for Germany and scored over 100 goals and was voted FIH World Player of the Year in 2012. Did you get it? It is, of course, one of the greatest players to ever grace the game of hockey, Germany's Moritz Förster. Well done if you got it. If you didn't, never mind. There'll be another episode along soon, another chance to play coming up. Uh, On the note of Moritz Förster, uh, if you want to find out a little bit more about his career and what a great player he was, visit my website, thetopofthed.com, go to the Legends of Hockey section, and there's a piece I wrote about him in there. Um, So, yeah, if you want to find out a little bit more, that's where you can go. Before I leave you, uh, just a quick shout out to my sponsor for this season, Mercy and Hockey. Um, As you probably no doubt know, if you're a regular listener to the podcast or a visitor to my social media or my website, I am supported by Mercy and Hockey this season and very, very grateful for the wonderful goalkeeper kit that I've uh, been using this season. Um, So yeah, if you want to get sticks, um, kit, bags, you know, any of your hockey needs, uh, have a look on their website, mercyandhockey.com, and uh, they've got you covered for whatever you need. And that's all we've got time for. Uh, Thank you for tuning in. Uh, Thank you especially for making it this far in the podcast, listening this long. 
Um, if you'd like to get in touch, I am on Twitter at the top of the D on there. Uh, also on Instagram at the top of the D, and I have a Facebook page which is the top of the D. Um, all my written work is on my website, thetopofthed.com. So if you ever want to get in touch, want to talk hockey, um, want to read some of my content or whatever, that's where you can go. And um, I'm hoping I don't get too many angry Canadians or umpires uh, getting in touch off the back of today's episode. Um, you know, I speak as I find, and uh, hopefully I've not offended anyone. But uh, if you want to give me a shout on there and tell me how wrong I was, you know where to find me. Uh, I say thanks again for listening, and uh, there'll be another episode out very soon. <laughs>